0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Be reading verses 3 through 8 this morning. As we look at the believer's hope, I thought it would do well to kind of continue a a broad theme, if you will, from last week, our half full, half empty thought, and move forward as to kind of really why we would. Think of it being half full, not half empty, and uh, that is the believer's hope. And uh, Let's read these verses, and then we'll get into our message this morning. That We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye, learned, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time that we have And Father, now as we take time to sit at thy feet to hear thy word, do ask that our hearts, our minds, our souls would be attentive. We have set aside the cares and distractions of the world, and our focus is on you. That we are like that potter's clay, we are pliable in thy hands. For you desire to take your word and to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ, our Savior. So, Father, I pray that we would be willing subjects to that change that is being worked about in our lives. That as we hear thy word and as you chip and as you mold and shape, that we would willingly bend so that Christ may be seen in us more fully. We pray for that soul here that may be lost. May they come to thee this morning. As they hear of this hope that the believer has, may they be drawn to that sacrifice for sin that Christ accomplished on the cross. Father, he died as their substitute, died in their place. And Father, may they wondrously be born again this morning, confessing their sin, accepting that finished work of Christ on the cross, Do that work that only you can with your word in our hearts this morning. And truly we will thank you for what you will accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope. It is a word full of meaning. And especially for us Christians. I I love reading and finding that word hope throughout our scriptures. It is a common word found in our New Testaments. It is used some 61 times in our King James Bibles that we have here. The underlying Greek word, uh, I I love this because our, our English word hope has such a broad meaning. We typically use it as wishful thinking, do we not? We hope for something to occur. We don't know that it will, but we hope. That it will. I know I, I use it over and over again but you know I always hope for a white Christmas. I have since I was a kid. When I experienced my first white Christmas that I can remember in the fifth grade in northern Indiana. It was snowing that morning when we woke up. It was just to me it was one of the most fabulous Christmases. It just lightened my heart and I've always remembered it. Because I wouldn't see a white Christmas for another 26 years. And uh, that was a long dearth of no white Christmases, but our travels across this country kept us away from where snow would be typically found at Christmas time. And uh, I have always loved it, still do to this day. If it's a white Christmas, I'm a happy camper. Um, and uh, the like, and if there's a white Thanksgiving, I'm fine with that, and whatever else white may come along during the wintertime, I'm fine with it. I know a lot of people just kind of, I wish pastor wouldn't say those kinds of things, but I'm, I'm sorry, this is, this is me. I love the snow. I don't get, don't tire of it, and I don't know that I ever will. Uh, I love Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, I'm reminded of it every time I see the snowfall our sins have been forgiven, we've been cleansed, we're white as snow. And uh, what a joy to consider that when we see that white stuff out on the ground. It reminds me of that every time. So I don't think I'll ever get over it, uh, because it draws me to our, our God, to our Savior. But as we consider the word hope, when we look at the underlying Greek word, we find a difference. It's not wishful thinking. It means to be looking forward to something with some reason for confidence, respecting fulfillment. It's not a wishful thinking. There is a confident expectation when we see the word hope in our scriptures. It's something that we can rest on, assuredly knowing that it is going to come to pass. It just hasn't happened yet, but it will. We have God's guarantee on it. It notes in a dictionary, "When fixed on God, this word hope, hope embraces expectation, trust and patient waiting. It is linked to faith, as in Hebrews 11:1, which stresses the certainty of what is divinely given. That is our biblical hope, a confident expectation, knowing that it's going to come. And for the believer, let's look at, if you will, as we look at the believer's hope, we'll be looking at kind of the adjectives that go along as Paul and other writers, uh, I believe Paul and John and Peter, excuse me, I bring Peter in there too, As they bring up this word and use adjectives with us to help us understand, if you will, and and consider and contemplate our hope. We have a song that we sing, our hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. Our hope is in him. Our confidence is there in God. Not in what we did. Because we can stumble and we can have doubts arise. It's not on, well, did you trust Christ? Did you pray a prayer asking God to forgive you? I remember back when I was college age, I was home, and um, we had gone up to the Outer Banks of North Carolina to do some in ignorance, some church planting work, if you will. We had a week of services with a uh, sister church pastor that came over. Uh, He had a couple from his church that had moved out to the Outer Banks. He uh, worked for a bread company, so he made bread deliveries. And uh, there was no sound church to go to. And uh, so as a a young, wet-behind-the-ears preacher boy, uh, me and... uh, Would would future be my brother-in-law, went out and spent a week in an RV and uh, knocked on doors, and we did some follow-up afterwards, going out there every Sunday, meeting with this couple, and trying to see a church established. It never went anywhere. But we were out there for that week of services, and um, a pastor up in the Virginia Beach area, his son had been in an accident. And had amnesia for a while. I remember a conversation that we had. We were sitting at the dinner table. We were talking with this pastor that was there speaking. And uh, the question came up from my future brother-in-law. Well, is he he still saved? Because he had no memory of his salvation. Okay, that's that's a good thought. But our salvation is not based on what... We may remember. Our hope isn't based on what we did. Because if you do have amnesia, you don't remember it. Did, your, did all of a sudden your salvation evaporate and be gone because I'm not remembering that moment in time? Thankfully, it's not based on us, it's based on God. He's the one that accomplished our salvation. And uh, that is where our hope is. It's not in us. Our memories may fade. They may start to get jagged and unclear. As I've often said, I don't know the exact Sunday morning I trusted Christ. I know it was a Sunday morning. I know that it was in June of 1974. I know that it was after my cousin's. Uh, my uncle was in the Marines, and he was discharged from the Marine Corps, and they moved back to northern uh, Indiana from eastern North Carolina uh, the first part of June, and I know it was after they left. And so I've just kind of arbitrarily picked a Sunday, gone back into a, a reader's almanac and found that perpetual calendar uh, back in the day and looked at the Sunday's, Uh, in June of 1974 and then picked one. I believe it's June 23rd, 1974. And mark that as a day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. Am I 100% sure that that was the Sunday? I'm not. Because I know what I went through. I know what I experienced and I know the fear that I had concerning what mom might think if I said anything. And so it wasn't, I didn't tell anyone. So there was no markings, if you will, within the family to say, oh, Brian trusted Christ here because we have it marked and we have it noted. I I kept it quiet. I was fearful that the door would be closed on me and I would no longer be able to get into the trailer. And I would be on my own. Satan has a way of robbing us of things. But I know I trusted Christ. That's sure. So our hope isn't in us. It's in our God. And it is steadfast and sure. And so let us turn, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we look at our believer's hope, we see that it is a good hope. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It's interesting, we find this along with what we just read in Colossians, kind of a prayer, thoughts of Paul, but here we have Paul praying for the Thessalonians. Verses 16 and 17, he says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace comfort your hearts, and establish you with every good work, word and work. He hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Thankfully, it's not just a hope, although that's good in and of itself, but it is a good hope. This prayer that Paul utters for them, he declares God's good hope. The word good speaks of being excellent, distinguished, upright, honorable. This is nothing to be ashamed of, believer, our hope. It's a good hope. There's excellence there, and it is through or in grace. It is God's grace that makes all things possible for the believer. Because we don't deserve anything. There's a topic in and of itself to look and consider God's grace to us. But it is God's grace. Do we deserve heaven as our home? We don't. May we never think that we're entitled to it. I know we have an entitlement mentality out there. But we're not entitled to heaven. But God has graciously provided it for us. And it is part of our hope. It is a good hope. And it is in God's grace that that is accomplished. Because God was gracious enough to give us that message of salvation. I and mean, we look back and, and we read you know, our Bibles and we see the account of Christ and see his life lived. I am so thankful that he reminds us that we didn't have to be there to see Christ in order to know the forgiveness that is found in Christ. It wasn't just one generation that salvation was available for, but for all, even to them that believe in his name. We see the story, we see the account we have the gospel verses that were given to us. And it is based on those that God convicts and convinces us that we, one, yes, are sinners. Two, that we need a Savior. Three, that we can't save ourselves, but He did it as our substitute in our place. And we believe, we trust in that finished work of Jesus Christ, that He was died, buried, and rose again. And it's not just a story. I don't like to use that word sometimes as we look at accounts in the scriptures. I mean, we call them Bible stories, and I get it. You know, we give Bible stories to our children and the like, but, you know, stories can be made up. Stories can be fictional. And uh, I, I tend to draw away from using the word story and go to an account, An account is talking about what's there, what's factual, what took place. And we have these accounts, if you will, throughout the Scriptures that we joy and rejoice and read about and thrill, and our hearts are warmed and stirred. Christ accomplished that for us. And so it is a good hope that we have, as Paul declared for us here, And 2 Thessalonians. And because of that grace. That we have it. Back to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. It is a patient hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. says remembering without ceasing. Your work of faith. And labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. We're familiar with Thessalonians. You know that Paul speaks much in both books about Christ's coming. The Thessalonians were concerned. They had questions. Christ is coming back. Yes, because he said so. He told his disciples, the apostles, chapter 14 of John, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come back and take you. Paul taught them in the few weeks that he was there on his second missionary journey. He gave them eschatology. He taught them after they trusted Christ that this Christ that you have placed your faith and trust in is going to come back for you. This hope that they had. They certainly, as you read those two epistles, they latched onto it. They were wanting, they were ready, they were waiting for Christ to come back. And when people had told them, oh, that's already happened. Christ coming back, oh, that's already happened. They were concerned. Well, wait a minute. They were concerned about their loved ones who were passing away between the time that Paul was there, established the church, and by the time he writes the first epistle. Paul, Christ is coming back, but we have these loved ones that have passed away. How does that work? If he's going to come back, what happens to them? And so we have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I don't have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not as others which have no hope. God's going to give them a new body. They're going to be resurrected. Those that are dead in Jesus, He's going to raise up, and we're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air with them. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And they are a great comfort. Our loved ones who have passed, God reminds us you're going to be reunited with them. This is just a so long for now. We're going to be together again one day. And that is a great comfort to know. As I have pondered Mother's Day this year, it's, it struck me a little bit more this year, I think, I have no mother to call. My mother and my mother-in-law are home in heaven. And there is no phone call. For mother-in-law, I haven't called her since May of 2014 before she passed away. My mom, the last time I called her on Mother's Day was in 2018. Some years have gone by. I've realized that, but it has, for some reason, this year struck a little more home. I'm not calling them this year. Well, I know that. I didn't call them last year either or the year before, but there's just something about it this year. I, I can't call them. I can't wish them Happy Mother's Day or be there with them. But there's a coming a day when I will see them. We'll be in God's presence. The Thessalonian believers had a patience in this hope. They were waiting. The word patience speaks of steadfastness, constancy, endurance. A steadfast waiting for. How are we, folks? Christ is coming again. This is the Thessalonian church in the middle of the first century. And Paul is noting their patience of hope. They were looking forward to Christ coming back. He was their focus. They were anticipating. But they were steadfast. Yes, he's coming back. Peter will write later in his second epistle that there will be scoffers. His coming? What do you mean? Everything's been as it's always been. There's no such thing as his coming. Goodness. Yes, there is. We read the Olivet Discourse as Paul, as as Christ prepared his disciples, as they asked the questions about his coming, about his return, about the kingdom. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, there'll be perplexities, there'll be famines, there'll be pestilences. We've had those through these centuries. Things are getting more bleak, if you will, on the human front. It is getting darker on the human front. Which would be all the more reason to realize that we may indeed be hearing that shout, that trumpet... And be changed in a moment. And be in our, the presence of our Savior. It's nearer now than it was in Paul's day. They were looking for it with great anticipation and steadfastness. They weren't giving up on it. Neither should we. 2,000 years later. Say, but he hasn't come yet. And I would say, I'm thankful that he hasn't. Because I may be part of the generation that gets to go in such an unusual fashion. Not that I wouldn't care for somebody a thousand years ago to have done it, but, you know, when you stop to consider what God has said he's going to do, I certainly would like to be in on this. To be the generation that there's a shout, there's a trumpet. Whether the world hears it, I don't think they will. They're just going to find a bunch of clothes lying around. And start to wonder what happened. I'd love to be part of that. The Thessalonians wait, were waiting on that. Why? Because Christ was their focus. Are we steadfast as they were in in the belief of his imminent coming. We've talked about it as we've looked at our eschatology. That shout, that trumpet, there is no time markers for it. We don't know when it will happen. But are we living in light of it, anticipating it happening? We'll continue as we look through this. It leads us then to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We have a purifying hope. As we look forward to that coming, that hope, it purifies us. As John writes his epistle, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, that is Christ, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a joy! That body that we see Christ in after his resurrection. That body that he disguised to the two on the road to Emmaus. Two that knew him just three, four days beforehand. Who would have recognized him. Now didn't recognize him while they walked for those couple hours. It's about a seven and a half mile trip. One way. So you, you walk your pace. It's going to be a couple hours walking. As he opens the word of God to them, they don't recognize him until he wants them to as he sits and breaks bread. He appears to them in the upper room just all of a sudden he's there. This glorified body that Christ has we will be given one. The last leg, if you will, of our salvation that started the moment we trusted Christ. That work is complete in Him and the process that began at salvation will finish in that moment when we're given a new body, a perfect body. But we continue reading We look forward. We don't know what that body is going to be like, but we know Christ has one. And John's reminding us here, we don't know what it shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him, what hope? That one, Christ is coming back to take us, two, that we're being given a new body. We have this hope. Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We live in anticipation of his coming. We live in anticipation that it could happen now. We know someone's coming to our home. We make sure that we're ready for them, do we not? Husbands. Does your wife like having you bring somebody home unannounced? My wife, not so much. She likes to know ahead of time so that I can be prepared. I can clean the house. It looks fine to me, sweetheart. Oh, no, it's dirty. I, I need to clean it. Need to have it ready. We don't like to have unannounced guests, do we? Why? Because we want things just right. John challenges his readers with the understanding that we are the sons of God because of our faith in Christ. And as such, we'll be receiving that new glorious body. And this hope of this new body should purify us. The word purify means to speak to cleansing. To be pure from every fault. Clean, holy. The the Greek word is in the family that we get holiness and holy from. Being clean, pure, which pictures for us that we're living with the understanding that Christ could come, so I need to be walking, as we see elsewhere, circumspectly, mindful that he could come today, and I sure don't want to be caught ashamed. I'd rather be caught anticipating His coming than to be found someplace sinning against the very God who's coming for me. Do we live in light of that? To keep a short account with our God because we have been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ and that we can keep ourselves cleansed. May we live such. It is a purifying hope. He's coming back for us. It is a confidence. It will happen. It Not that it may happen. It will. Are we ready for it? With those thoughts in mind, yes, I want to live in light of eternity. I want to live knowing that I will welcome that shout, that trumpet. Or that I meet him in death, for that matter. Because we don't have an expiration date on us somewhere. We, we can't look someplace and find, okay... Okay, I see when I'm going to pass, so I can do whatever I want. And the day before, I'll get things right with God. And so that says the 13th of that month. So on the 12th, I'll get things right with God, and then I'll be ready. We don't know when we're going to pass from this life. Are we living in anticipation of seeing Him? It is a purifying hope. It is a living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Our living hope is based on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. Christ is alive, and because he lives, we live also, as he notes to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 19. True biblical Christianity is a living reality. We serve a risen Savior, not a dead prophet. I know we've mentioned the story of the hymn, I Serve a Risen Savior. Pastor Ackley did that hymn, that poem and the music, Because he did live at a time when people were thinking God is dead. God's not real. He's not alive. There's no. And he had had conversations with folks. And he spoke Sunday morning on it. And he spoke Sunday night on it. And he just still was unsettled in his mind. And uh, his wife told him, well, sit down and write. And he did. And he pens those words. We serve a risen Savior. He's not dead. We have a living hope, not a dead hope. Christ is living, and because he lives, we live also. And then lastly, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we have a blessed hope. As Paul wrote to Titus in the closing days of his life, Paul's life, he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking. That is to accept, to await, to accept a thing offered. To expect the fulfillment of promises. It's not a physical looking. That's not the underlying Greek word, to look at something. But it is to expect. The fulfillment of His promises. This has two senses. is to receive someone or accept something or to await. Looking for, to await the blessed hope. The word blessed speaks of being happy, fortunate. The special feature in the New Testament is the use of this term for the distinctive joy which comes through participation in the divine kingdom. We are part of Christ's kingdom. And as such, it is blessed. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. I'm a part of his kingdom now because I've trusted Christ. And he is coming back to set up that kingdom one day. And I will reign with him. It is truly a blessed hope. It's a joyous one. believer. God desires us to be looking forward to the future, to the finish line, as Paul would tell the Philippians, when we will stand in his presence and all earthly things will fade away into obscurity. Our current hope, our current confidence, our joy is not only for what Christ did for us when he saved us. But what that salvation has given us forward, our home in heaven, in God's presence. Believer, is God's hope all this to you? Is it a blessed hope? Is it a purifying hope? Is it a living hope? Get back there. Is it a patient hope? Is it a good hope? That's how God has described our hope. I trust that we see the realities of it this morning. That's my hope. And I look forward to that day. Can nothing dissuade us from it? I trust nothing can. Say, but I have circumstances in my life. Yes, we all have circumstances in our life that doesn't diminish the hope we have in our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for thy word. We thank you for the truth that is here. We thank you for, yes, that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I trust that whether we are young or old, we are living in anticipation of his coming. Father, you've told us no man knows the day or the hour. There's nothing to let us know when that event will take place. But we know that it will. And so may we live accordingly. May we live with our hope truly described as these writers have in our scriptures. Father, we thank you that we have that hope. We we don't have a salvation just in this life only. It is a salvation that goes on for all eternity. Father, we can't thank you enough for that salvation that's found in Christ. May we live accordingly. Again, we do ask that there is one here that knows not the salvation that's found in Christ. May I or someone here have the opportunity to show them out of the Scriptures how they can know Christ as their Savior, to have their sins forgiven, to be given a new life in Him, to have this great and blessed hope that to depart from this life is to be in your presence to have that blessed assurance Father maybe we as believers have allowed the world to cloud and obscure the hope that we have in you we've allowed situations and circumstances to move in and block our view father may we seek where necessary thy forgiveness father ask for thy grace and strength and renew the fact that we are waiting for you the believer's life is a blessed life blessed beyond measure a joyous life that the world just does not understand. May we reflect such a life. The world needs to see Christ. May they see him in us. Send us forth in thy strength, with thy grace, thy love and mercy. Do a work in hearts as only you can We'll thank you for what you will accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen.